All right, good morning, everyone. This is Mark Molina, CEO of Molina Leadership and Business Development Solutions. Today, we are very uh, grateful to have with us uh, District 2 for Springfield County Commissioner, Joe Burney. And we appreciate Joe is taking time out of a very busy schedule in the midst of the pandemic uh, to ask, uh, to answer some general questions I have of him, uh, his position of leadership, his observations, and how he feels things are going for our community in the midst of COVID-19. Uh, Joe, welcome and thank you for the privilege and the, of having uh, this opportunity to have audience with you and for the sacrifice of your time. Well, I deserve that no more than you, sir. So thank you very much also. Thank you. For those that are We're, we're all doing our best, right? Yes, sir, that's, that's for sure. And so I have a list of questions for uh, Commissioner Bernie and we're just gonna go right through them. And, and he has uh, made himself available to answer them. So we're, let's start off with Joe. For those that don't know you, sir, for those that haven't heard of you or seen you before this moment in time, uh, give, give us a little bit of your professional history, your background and education. <laughs> You're gonna have to stop me. Whenever I'm asked this is, is when I confront how old I actually am, Mark. Yeah. Um, and my, my uh, my background is that I was born an Oregonian in Beaverton, Oregon, um, where my sister still lives. Um, family, when I was very young, moved to California when my father lost his job at a, at a pulp and paper mill outside of the Portland metro area. Um, he was an engineer for them. So I actually was, was raised uh, in California um, most of my younger years. Um, 30, the woman I married there uh, also was a native Oregonian. Her family was from Eastern Oregon, Echo, Oregon. Mm. Um, we moved here 30 years ago with our young family. Um, I, uh, so, so that's a little bit of that. So, you know, it's kind of funny. I've never, ever, ever run for, uh, for elected office campaigned in my life. So to do it for the first time at 64, one would either call me the latest bloomer imaginable <laughs> or, or um, someone who's led a life, right? And, and now with the blessings of, of a, a solid life, children raised, grandchildren in the community, I uh, had the opportunity to, to give back. So that's that. Um, do you want me to go through experiences I've had or is that good let, enough? Let, let people know, you know, most of the time we, our county commissioners uh, don't have the background that you have in regards to entrepreneurship. And that's one of the parts of your history I find very intriguing. So if you could discuss that a little bit. I'd be delighted, thank you. Um, after college, I taught high school. And I was a high school, tenured high school teacher uh, in the mid and late 70s. Um, ironically, that was, about 500 miles south of here. And my high school students, many of them are now about 60, 61, um, have retired themselves. And 12 of them, via Facebook, we still stay in touch. And we're talking like I hadn't taught in over 40 years, right? Mm -hmm. And 12 of them uh, donated to my campaign. Um, two of them drove up here to Canvas with me. Uh, one of those being a guy named uh, Joe Tellis, who's a retired battalion chief for one of the fire departments in the Bay Area, so that's kind of fun. Anyway, I did that for a few years. Um, after that, I, I was involved because of a mentor at the tail end, history repeats itself, at the tail end of a huge study by the Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention and the National Institute of Education on violence and vandalism in the nation's public schools. And, and, and I was involved in doing case studies on what seemed to work. And the territory I was assigned to and lived in for half a year was South Chicago and East St. Louis, of all places. Um, and that's, by the way, that's where I met Jesse Jackson, mm -hmm. because he was then a young man after the Southern Civil Rights Movement and had started this new group called Operation Push, which stood for People United to Save Humanity. But, but I get into that. So I did all of that. Um, another of my, I've, I've led a very blessed life, Mark. Another of my mentors was um, 
an African-American guy named John Nisby who's no longer with us. John was one of the cadre of black, uh, to break the color barrier for the Washington Redskins when Kennedy was president. So he has this, he was 15 years older than me, so he has this long history. I moved to DC to work with him in um, developing low and moderate income housing in the mid-Atlantic region of the United States, Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. At which time um, I was involved, ironically, in creating two of the first ever integrated housing developments in two communities in the South. Um, fascinating experience. Um, then was involved, uh, you know, I, won't, I won't belabor it, but on and on and on. So I ended up uh, in, in California, um, the head of what was then the country's largest business education partnership organization, even though it was California specific, nonprofit, 26 offices created by the California Business Roundtable to penetrate the business of education. Um, was involved with that, uh, was one of the architects of that state's first dropout prevention legislation in the late 80s. Um, that legislation, again, some things come full circle. That legislation was anchored in two things. One was what was then called vocational education or career education. And the other was providing uh, equal expectations for all of the diverse student body of California public schools. Because at that time, students were tracked based upon predefined ideas of what their capacities and capabilities were, which some people call institutional racism. Um, uh, did that, um, got started getting politically involved and didn't like politics. I did not like the superficiality and, you know, and, and the drama and all that stuff of politics. So I decided uh, I stopped that, I, I got married, I, I had and raised children and um, got involved in several business enterprises. Am I taking too long? No, it's perfect. No, that's what I'm okay. trying to draw <laughs> okay. out. No, I pre are you kidding? Heck. <laughs> um, one of those business enterprises was a, a uh, broccoli processing line and cold storage in Watsonville, which was the fruit and vegetable processing hub of the Salinas Valley, mm -hmm. late 80s, early 90s. And one of them was a training consulting firm. That's where I first got very, very engaged with the building trades because we ended up bringing $21 million in rewriting the apprentice curriculum or integrating new classes so new jobs requiring new skills could be bid by organized labor. Um, for uh, statewide training uh, for the electrical workers, carpenters, sheet metal workers, operating engineers, stationary engineers, surveyors, and several others um, did that. That was very successful. Um, those relationships are intact. One of the reasons why I'm in office now um, at the time was a Teamster, even though I owned the broccoli processing business. And that relates to, if you want to look in the late 80s, one of the covers of Time magazine had to do with a strike. Um, that the Teamsters were waging against food processors. And there's a, a huge reason why I was the one person that had the credibility of both labor and management and was able to help not really negotiate it, but once it was negotiated, develop a host of labor management initiatives to help that industry, mm -hmm. not the least of which uh, was the country's first migrant farm worker training center that took 500 migrant workers out of the fields, put them into the processing plants, which was a significant step up, um, and gave 500 families of several thousands of people for the first time in their life, health insurance. Kids stayed in the same schools. Uh, the people, be in, the workers became integrated into their communities and they had a career ladder that gave them security and, and dignity. Um, Big earthquake in 89, we, my wife and I always wanted to move back to Oregon and we did so in 1992. So I moved back here in 92. Um, I'm probably taking too long, no, but well. since I've been here, 
well, since I've been here in Oregon, um, have been blessed with op opportunities and also experienced tragedy. We experienced the tragic loss of my children's mother 17 years ago to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm -hmm. um, it's only recently I can even talk about that without shedding a tear. Mm -hmm. um, uh, children have been at that. I took a couple of years away from all work. Um, and that was at a time when I was then the president, the executive director of the Lane Regional Workforce Quality Committee that generated millions of dollars, both for displaced mill workers at the time, um, several of whom I met in my campaign. So it was just this gratifying full circle and several million to really create a roadmap for what was then called school to work. Um, lost the wife. I couldn't get, you know, raise my child. Um, sports were my child's way to get back into life. By the way, he's now a, a law enforcement officer with the Springfield Police Department. Oh, very <laughs> yeah, yeah, my baby of 30. Um, and, um, really needed a fundamentally different career. I mean, I, all my money went to the cancer and, and went to this and not working. And that's when I got involved about 2004 in energy. Um, created the Energy Trust of Oregon's first large partnership with a financial institution because I knew the CEO of Umpqua Bank and Gary Pierpoint was, was the head of Umpqua in this area. Um, we created Green Street, which was a mechanism to aggressively finance ecologically friendly business and, and residential activities. Mm -hmm. Created new uh, financing for residential energy efficiency and solar. Um, ended up creating a business out of that. 10 years ago, uh, that business became very entrenched in the Southern California and Southern California energy market because we wanted to change the world, right? And, mm -hmm. and the way you did that was closing transactions, not talking, but doing, mm -hmm. not rhetoric, but, but financial transactions. We closed over $160 million in uh, clean energy, commercial and industrial retrofits. In so doing, we only used union labor. Um, we uh, always required um, a very diverse workforce and we focused on recruiting people that, uh, that from groups that heretofore had not been fully involved in, in that workforce, mm -hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. Retired from that, was very blessed, you know, um, met a girl, another girl, <laughs> years after my wife passed, I'm now married to her. Um, uh, living a very fulfilling life. She has been a Springfield resident for 40 years. I moved to Springfield because I fell in love uh, eight years ago with a, with a girl mm -hmm. and um, ended up falling in love with Springfield also. So I've been in the county 30 years, Springfield, about a third of that time. Um, and here I am in Springfield, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've learned the incumbent county commissioner, um, I'm sure he's a fine guy, I don't know him, but, but I, I knew that he, he really did not represent my views. Um, and you know, I'm pro-labor, um, I have a, a successful business background. Um, I believe in climate science. Uh, I believe there are ways to deal with that and create net new jobs, good jobs. Um, so we really disagreed on a lot of those issues. So I felt, well, you know, there's no way I'm going to win. There's no way in hell I'm going to win because, you know, the, the, the I was running, unlike your, the people you had talked to last night, I was running against an incumbent, mm -hmm. um, an incumbent that was entrenched in this community, had been the mayor and then the county commissioner, always running for higher political office. Uh, and I just decided, well, as a community service, at least, since at least I could articulate and, and civilly debate a different perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I thought maybe a lot of Springfield residents would resonate with that. I did not expect to win. In fact, Mark 
my my son and I had many coffees where he goes, Dad, what the heck do you think you're doing? Um, and we won. Uh, and we could talk about that or not. But what that demonstrated to me was that our community um, is full of hope and it's full of good people. And it's full of people that whose voices have not been heard. So in my later years, sort of post-retirement, the, the blessing and opportunity to truly give back without an agenda, um, it, it's been the most wonderful thing in the world. So I'm sorry I bored your listeners, but no, no, that's a bit of my story. It's been really good. When you were running for office, I, I had never met you. I didn't really know you. I had just returned from Texas. And, and I was told when I asked, well, who, who is Joe Bernie? And I was told he's a retired school teacher out of California. That's about a 45-year-old dated story, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it was, I've seen you speak a couple of times, and then you've mentioned some of your history, and that's when I started realizing that what I thought I knew about you from what people said, it was inaccurate. And then you made mention of your entre entrepreneurial background, and I thought that is very relevant to this conversation, as well as to your election, that this is why this happened. There is... Uh, a spirit of change underfoot within for people and and things are shifting as far as perspectives and priorities and the voters responded to that so let's let me go ahead and move on to some of the other questions because you've answered the first the first three what have you learned as you began this journey of the district two county commissioner for spring springfield you've been at your post now a little over a year what have you learned about Lane County during this time in elected office? What have I learned about the county? I've known the county pretty well. Um, I've learned that, that um, my disdain for career politicians on either side of the aisle holds true. <laughs> that while I, I, have become good friends with the elected officials that I work with uh, as, as individuals, as human beings, no matter ideology or party line, for me, character and integrity is much more important than that. Mm -hmm. um, I've also learned that uh, Lane County in many ways is a little too, um, what's the word? It's not egocentric, we don't look out enough to see what other people are doing. We think we have all the answers. Um, I've learned that Lane County uh, has a lower per capita wages than the rest of the state, and the state of Oregon has lower per capita wages than the national average, and that Springfield has lower per capita wage rate than the rest of the county. Um, I've learned that. Lane County is truly undercapitalized to make the proper infrastructure investments, but I'm not sure that if we had the capital, um, cool and prudent and business heads would prevail at the expenditure of those funds. Um, Lane County has the third lowest tax rate of the 36 counties in Oregon, which has a very low doesn't have a low tax rate. We rely too much on property taxes. We don't have a diversified enough rate. Um, but nonetheless, um, the, uh, the, the, the business acumen with which uh, the administrative staff of the county have managed our resources um, is, is very good. It's very strong. I mean, it's almost the reverse of what it was eight or nine years ago, if you recall. I don't know if you were here then, but um, it was just a disaster at the county. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've learned a lot. I've learned that um, county staff, this was a new one for me, Mark. I had no idea of this, that county, many county staff have come to me. And, and I, I say this with humility. I, I don't think I'm any great shakes. I'm just a person doing their best and said that um, in many ways, I've been part of them feeling liberated mm -hmm. to, to work on the passions and the callings that got them into public service in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, may I tell you a story about that? Sure. So after I was elected, but before I took office, 
the county uh, apparently had, they brought me in all the senior division heads you know the county administrative officer the, the chief of operations the communications officer right um, the head of public works county council all the, the division leaders and apparently they were very concerned because they had worked four years to finally get the state of oregon to match half of what a new courthouse and justice center would cost. Mm -hmm. And they didn't expect the change of leadership that occurred with the 2018 elections in the county. So they wanted to make sure I understood everything because they felt a unanimous commissioner support for that referendum was required. Now we all know it came, it went, it went down. Um, after a very too short right, thing and, and what have you, in a pre-COVID world. But back then, they wanted my support. And they said, what do we need? And I very quickly realized, oh, I can already start negotiating an agenda here. And I let them know, well, I didn't run on a new courthouse, <laughs> but I ran on improving wages in the county and strategically how you do that. I ran on a, a host of worker and working family issues from flexible schedules for, for single parents to, as I mentioned, living wages to full family health insurance as a priority for working families to retirement with dignity. Um, and I was listing those things, which by the way, are parts of a traditional project labor agreement with the building trades, which all of my projects operated under. And they're, you know, we're, we're going back and forth and, and they're liking it. I mean, they're, you know, it's, so as it gets traction, I, I realized, okay, well, I'm, gonna, I'm on a roll, I'm gonna keep going here. <laughs> so I talked about environmental concerns, that, that, that every retrofit and new building should be built with an eye to being as close as financially feasible without getting into greater costs to net zero carbon emissions. Um, as an aside, my development company developed what is today, believe it or not, still the country's largest net zero plus piece of real estate that produces more clean energy than it consumes. And it's become the County of Los Angeles is one of their two primary evacuation centers as a result. But, um, I knew that the state legislature in 2018 had just passed a requirement that on, uh, on building projects, municipal ones that use state financing, at least one and a half percent of the budget needed to go to renewable energy. Since that was my business, one of my backgrounds, um, we put that in there that that was going to be a floor, not a ceiling. Um, and I, we also put in there the a priority for people that, that bought their, products and supplies from local distributors and local vendors and local businesses all with an idea to recycling money locally um, they bought it within the month of my my for my first month in office um, we had unanimous approval for what we're calling a community benefit community benefits agreement mm -hmm. um, that is now binding the lane community college um, bond request we'll see what happens with that but if they get it all those elements are in there and that was because um, I kind of hammered that board and they were receptive um, on and on and on so anyway um, I probably I'm talking too much no no it's, it's good um, I've learned I've learned a lot I've learned that people care politicians care oftentimes they don't have the background and experiences to get from A to Z, from where we are to where we need to get to B, and I feel I've contributed a bit as it relates to that. I was part of the, the pack for the initial tax levy for the Springfield Justice Center years ago, and I remember it was really important to us at that time that whoever won that contract, that they use local help, local leadership, local construction. And so I noticed that as you came into your elected office, that was your same mantra that you're speaking of now. It was my business mantra too. Yes. <laughs> so that was really unique to hear because in the past, things would get farmed out to different organizations from Portland or union shops from outside of the area. And so that was really uh, unique to hear your commitment to local people working or earning good wages for the extended amount of time that that was going to be happening to make sure that that uh, wealth and income opportunity stayed right here in Lane County 
and that our residents uh, profited first for the absolutely for absolutely from from who is hired yes to who gets business to to making sure that they're taken care of in terms of decent wages for decent work and mm -hmm. and health insurance yes absolutely yeah thank you mark yes sir well you've answered like four questions all within this these answers so i'm going to move on to uh a different question you know as we find ourselves in the midst of this pandemic as the electric, elected county commissioner for District 2, what were some of your first concerns uh, be, to address regarding immediate needs for uh, the county? In terms of the pandemic? Yes, sir. Oh, well, nobody knew it was happening. <laughs> um, my immediate concerns mark were written in a published editorial in the register guard and um back a month and a half ago we were getting you know the county staff was running around not knowing what to do but wanting to be of assistance and looking at how one creates a structure of prevention right mm -hmm. um, and uh, my concerns were let's focus i one, I requested the beginning of every board of committee, and this has all happened, the beginning of every board of commissioner meeting start with a report on status of our responding to that, and I provided structure, which I'll share with you. But I wanted that at the beginning of every meeting so that, that everyone would know that that's where to find that information without wasting their time that was interested. I wanted a report on where we are in Lane County with testing that until we have uh, adequate tests here, we're kind of shooting in the dark. That staff didn't appreciate my talk saying it like that, but that's kind of, we're still too much in that world right now. Um, but on testing, on the status of uh, personal protective equipment, which people now, acronym PPE, um, on the status of nursing homes, on the degree to which we're working with uh, uh, Army Corps of Engineers, hoteliers and others to look at, at, at if we need capacity for rooms, do we have them? Um, that concern, which I'm not the only one that's had at all, I don't mean to suggest that, has led to the county being very proactive and purchasing the old veterans um, clinic off of River Road uh, so that we can house COVID-19 homeless patients or those that need sequestration etc but i wanted a very focused report on all of that which we've had for the last six weeks with the board meeting um, so there was coherence uh, to the use of scarce resources as it related to this that was my initial concern and, and that concern's been met and um, and i wanted to make two other things i wanted to make sure that that all of the the um, both the needs and the resources of community groups and community people were coordinated into one coherent incident command which has occurred and is occurring i mean you know there's always room for improvement but that's a focus um, and also i reminded county staff of something i'd been pushing ever since i first got on which you mentioned last night in your interviews which was um, a revolving, a low interest, uh, properly structured revolving loan fund for small local businesses in the community. We needed that before COVID-19. Um, I think in about half an hour, if I if I correct, once that was announced with uh, Eugene and Springfield each participating, I think it was four hundred thousand dollars that they were able to amass. In half an hour, it was subscribed. Not only was it subscribed, but the people that I was made me realize we needed such a fund didn't get any didn't get it um most for example not that this is it but just as an example almost all um hispanic owned businesses in springfield did not even get their applications in upon announcement by the time The whole thing they didn't speak English. They didn't know that forms were required. Um, so I'm kind of um, I'm taking advantage of my policy role on the board of commissioners to 
try and generate a lot more money, like multiples more and some structure for a little more equity uh, in terms of how that money gets out. Well, you know, my wife has her own law practice. She has a small law practice and she got online to apply as well. And it was shocking to find out we had, we, we've heard through different conversations how many people had seen that knew about the loan before it was even advertised and were ready to engage in that process. And, and within 24 minutes, all the money was spoken for. Hey, yeah, and I think we're seeing the same thing at the federal level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where where people that large corporate structures that really don't need these emergency loans have the resources and staff to know what's happening to get the paperwork done and to get in line first. And um, and now we're seeing you know we're seeing this very similar dynamic, uh, which has got to be improved, and and it will be improved. Um, nationally and locally but damn you know what a, what a wasted opportunity yes sir what did you learn as a county commissioner within the county government about the capacity to work collectively with the eugene and springfield city leaderships around this loan working around the, the pandemic concerns what have you discovered about the overall cooperation and the collective uh, thinking um I've learned that sometimes, there's no general rule, but sometimes with county staff, they're a little Eugene centric. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever that occurs, I like to correct that. <laughs> One of the ways I correct that is always referring to our area as the Springfield Eugene metropolitan area. <laughs> um, I've, and that's very much the case. I've learned that um, city of Springfield, city staff, are tremendous. I really believe that. Um, the city councilors really care. It'll be interesting to see the outcome of this election, um, but that Springfield oftentimes gets a bad rap, undeservedly so, in terms of cooperation uh, with, a, with a lot of efforts. I mean, take the housing effort, for, for example. I see in some ways there's this institutional sort of uh, I don't know the right word, socially elite response to problems as opposed to a grassroots, get her done, um, you know, more organic. People might consider it more working class, whatever, but, but just a real get her. And I think our city is wonderful in, and has a lot to contribute to the county's approach to a number of problems. But I think the, the coordination is great. Um, I think, again, that staff, um, the people from the city of Springfield, the city of Eugene, the county, um, they're in those positions because they want to serve. I mean, they, they're highly competent people. And the degree to which they are allowed to really depends upon the political nature um, of the governance. And, and so I, think, I just think we're, we're, this has been a tremendous opportunity to, to make some what I think are really modest changes, but they're significant around here for some reason. How do you feel that the county and state relationships are uh, with the state representatives regarding pandemic response and upcoming funding opportunities for uh, the local uh, residents of our county? How do you feel those relationships are going? Forgive my glasses here, (laughs) but but I need to look at something to answer that question. how do I feel they're going? I think they're going as good as they can go. Um, there's, you get this interesting dynamic. This is, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for the Lane County Board of Commissioners. Um, I know now at the age of 64, I became a politician, but it's kind of hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Mm-hmm. So I still talk about politicians. Sometimes they seem to, no matter which side of the aisle they're on, they need to seem to posture to demonstrate how much they're working, how they're fighting on this and that, right? I think to the degree, some of them are still doing that, but a lot of them are putting that aside and just trying to figure things out. Um, there is an association of Oregon counties that's very actively one of the bridges um, coordinating state 
and local efforts. There's, I'm less involved with the League of Oregon Cities, but they're doing that with cities. Um, I find my relationships with our state elected delegation tremendous. Um, I've been humbled by the degree to which I've been able to influence certain things and positions they've taken. Um, I can share with you, this is why I need my glasses, that you know, there was just an emergency session this, this, this week. Was it this week? It was either this week or last week. And let me, you know, this, this directly responds, and I'm so sorry that, that I have to do this. This directly responds to your question, though. This is, um, the, this is $30 million that just got approved for, for, by the emergency board, which relates to resources for our area. 12 million just got approved uh, for rental assistance and safe shelter alternatives uh, for Oregonians impacted. Um, another 5 million got approved for small business financial assistance for businesses that need that. Another, I mean, this is hot off the presses. Mm -hmm. Another two million was approved for uh, emergency support for victims of domestic and sexual violence. Because sadly, during this frustrating period, those statistics are going up. Mm -hmm. And another 10 million was approved specifically, it was given to the Oregon Community Foundation, which I found interesting but it was specifically to um, set up and oversee what they call, quote, a culturally specific community-based grant program making payments to workers ineligible for wage replacement payments from traditional unemployment insurance programs. I think that's a long-winded way of saying undocumented uh, workers or, or uh, will also get assistance that are residents of Oregon. So those are just a few examples. Um, we're looking federally. One thing I really appreciate about this county's administration is they are very, which means I'm this way too, they're very aggressive about looking for resources that we can bring into the county um, for the right priorities. Very does good. that answer your question, Mark? It does. Thank you. That, that was very helpful. I know the people that are going to hear this are going to be very excited. Uh, how, how are the Lane County health services poised for long, the long-term response to this pandemic and the needs of the residents? Well, I'm gonna, I was preparing for this and now I'm gonna go to my computer, which is horrendously slow. But um, I wanna put this in perspective. Um, Lane County has authorized a bit over $5 million just from the county in response to this pandemic and, and the requirements attendant thereto. Um, there have been some bumps along the road which have been fun, not fun, interesting to monitor and provide direction to. But now we're starting, and I think we're well positioned. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I'm assuming you know this, but the University of Oregon labs are now working and have developed a test with McKenzie Willamette Hospital. And McKenzie Willamette here in days will be able to test, I think it's 100 people a day and provide results within eight hours. We desperately need that times 100. Yes, sir. Um, but now we're getting into looking at, I'm going to talk about that, but I'm going to talk about reopening. Okay. Um, Experts have said that, that you need about 152 tests a day per 100,000 in population to be able to have enough of a handle on where this virus is, both symptomatic and asymptomatic, mm -hmm. so that you can properly quarantine and sequester those that are at risk than those that are most vulnerable. Having said that, and, and you know, it's been interesting because I want to look at data and evidence. I get the emotions. I get the emotions. Trust me, I'm climbing the walls at my house. Mm -hmm. I, 
my wife and I married for better or for worse, but not for lunch. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, the emotions are, are incredible. To just get back into living, to get people moving as well as money moving and some sense of normalcy. And at the same time, you got a health crisis. So, So I think we're well positioned, and I think the county very soon will hit that 152 per 100,000, or about 500 tests a day. I think we're looking really, really, really good. And my hat is off to private sector groups that have participated in, um, whether it's a group, you know, a tech group that Mark Frommeyer sort of um, lassoed together to look at supply chains, for testing, how we can interrupt them, develop how we develop an infrastructure so that people can get tests near where they live, relieve anxiety, all of that. That's all moving at a really good clip. Very good. My hat is also off to businesses that have pivoted um, to provide personal protective equipment and hand sanitizer, right? I mean, look at our own Swallowtail Distillery. And located, I believe, if memory serves, 111 Main Street. And how Kevin Barrett has literally pivoted with other distillers locally to develop like just the highest quality hand and surface sanitizer available. And I'm doing everything I can on the side to help those guys develop that business opportunity. Mm -hmm. Because what better than to explore and create business opportunities providing the, the needs that people in our community have as opposed to this whole global economy thing. So I'm delighted with that. As we look at reopening, we got to put something in perspective. And that is that Lane County has only had, we broke yesterday 100 cases. There is nobody in a hospital in Lane County with the COVID virus mm -hmm. right now. No one's hospitalized. Um, we've had two deaths in the county. Now, you compare that, which I happen to have the handy dandy stats right here. Um, Multnomah County has 42 deaths and 700 confirmed cases. And that the Canton, Multnomah, Washington, Mary, and Clackamas, um, I mean, that's where 90% of everything is. Mm -hmm. There is new data coming out that says that that population density may have as much to do with spread and death rate as other things. Absolutely. And when you look at at across the country, you realize that, you know, I don't have the statistics. I do have the statistics, so bear with me, because I find this fascinating. Um, of all of the Oregon cases, everyone who lost their life had an underlying health issue. And about 90% of them were 75 and older. So what does that tell us? That tells us that reopening can be done as long as it's smartly. We can start on that now. Um, as long as there are certain social distancing measures, which we've learned have worked, there is really no reason to start putting our brains and actions behind a intelligent reopen. Um, are people going to go to events um, at Matt Court or at Autzen? I'll bet if you open those places right now, which we shouldn't, mm -hmm. but if one did, I don't think many people would show up. I, I think people, I saw a poll that said 91% of, of all of Americans, you know, are hesitant at this moment. So um, reopening needs to look at strategically utilizing resources to help small businesses. For example, I, I, I was able to actually, my one time speaking to the governor of Oregon, and I, I asked her, I said, why? Why isn't Oregon yesterday, not talking about phase one weeks from now, why yesterday paying all local restaurants, all of them, to provide food to hungry people? I mean, the food banks don't have enough food or money. 
I was in agribusiness and it breaks my heart to think of farmers doing what they are doing, which is plowing crops underground because there's no market for them because the restaurant business has closed. Mm -hmm. um, milk producers pouring millions of gallons of milk down the drain when so many people are hungry. I mean, give me a break. Where's the sense there? So my question was, why aren't we paying $10 a meal, all restaurants, keep them open, let their wait staff be drivers, um, keep local people employed, keep the food supply chain going, um, and feed more people. To which, you know, I didn't get the answer I wanted. Um, but these are the kinds of things. So, so, as, so we're looking at reopening. We're, we are subject to the state's process. Um, so the county, Board of County Commissioners is already um, looking at where we might, with home rule, make waivers and exceptions. Um, on the one hand, we have to stay healthy. And on the other hand, people have to say mentally healthy and livelihoods have to be maintained. And what is the what is home rule? So for those that haven't heard that term before. Hey, I only learned it. <laughs> I only learned. Um, home, home rule just means there, there are less areas, and I don't have, forgive me for not okay. knowing this, but, but other than areas that conflict with the state constitution and charter that we in Lane County can make our own decisions. Very good. You've answered all my questions, except I have one more that I think is important. Are there any safety concerns regarding an outbreak of COVID-19 in the Lane County Jail? And if that does happen, do you know of any of the contingency plans? Um, I don't, we're always concerned with that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't, I, I tried to talk to Chief uh, Harold prior to our conversation so that I could get you the most current data because I don't want to speak for the county sheriff. Uh, my understanding is that the county jail is Lane County's largest mental health facility, mm -hmm. given the nature of who is in there, that uh, the Lane County jail has priority for testing mm -hmm. so that inmates are monitored more closely than the general population as persons in any confined area have to be now that we're getting a few more tests available. Um, so is that a concern? Always a concern. Is it a reality? Not to my knowledge. Um, will it continue to be monitored? Of course it will. Okay, very good. Well, You've really done, I really appreciate your time. You provided really meaningful, helpful uh, information for not only your constituents in Springfield, but for all the residents of Lane County who'll see this. Any final comments or words of encouragement you'd like to offer uh, to not only the residents of Lane County, but to your constituents in District 2? Um, I wish I was wise, <laughs> just to have the right words. Um, I think what is under this is a realization that more of us are leaders than the press tends to suggest. And I'm not just talking about corporate heads or business owners or school superintendents or school principals. I'm talking about each and every one of us. Mm -hmm. um, this pandemic has had a way of, of, of bearing the good, the bad, and the ugly mm -hmm. about what's out there. And I think that if we as a community don't start having the discussions about how to rebuild, because we're not going to rebuild exactly what was there. Mm -hmm. It's what led to this pandemic. Mm -hmm. so, so really, um, for me, it's always been, you know, do you organize people around work or do you organize work around people? Do you have an area that's a right to work cheap or do you have an area that's the right to work for a living wage? Do you treat everyone from the garbage collector to the janitor to uh, the farm worker this, with as much re respect and appreciation and dignity um, as anyone else, uh, because we're learning now that if anything, they deserve more. <laughs> the nurse, the teacher, the grocery clerk. Um, 
And to the degree that these, to me, basic, obvious insights um, are also matched with a strategic way to attract more investment, private and public, um, I think the road ahead is going to start looking brighter. Uh, and to the degree that more of us are engaged through what you're doing, Mark, um, the road ahead is going to look brighter. To the degree people can see that, um, I mean, I want to move the county towards, and I, I don't think I'll be able to, but towards a, a real community-based approach to mental health, to juvenile justice, to delinquency prevention. And it all ties around meaningful work and the gratifications you get out of knowing that you have a sense of meaning and purpose and usefulness and belongingness and um, hope. Not, not baseless optimism, but real, tangible, substantial hope for the future. And I think that the kind of people that have been guiding Springfield and now this new crop of leaders that are running for office is wonderful. And to the degree that I've contributed just a bit to that, it's very, very gratifying and fulfilling. So um, I just thank you and I thank everyone. I mean, I was gonna have um, uh, a cup of Joe with Commissioner Joe, uh, but this stopped that. Um, we're going to have, as soon as we can get back, we'll have town halls. We'll have a variety of ways that, that people have a chance to get back in control of their government. Yes, thank you. Very good. Thank you. Well, today we've had with us uh, District 2 County Commissioner Joe Bernie from Springfield. So we thank you for your time and your sacrifice of your time and your willingness to speak to the, some of the questions and the issues, your willingness to speak to your constituents in Springfield, as well as the residents of Lane County. And we, we wish you and the rest of the leadership of the county, uh, you know, we wish you the best. You have a lot of hard decisions to make. There are still a lot of uh, difficult decisions forthcoming in regards to reopening and, and protecting and leading and guiding the community. So uh, we wish all for all of you a spirit of cooperation in all things. And thank you, Mark Molina, because this is a huge public service. And any way we can uh, generate a business opportunity of your willingness to do that, we need to do that as well. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Have a good day, sir. You too. Bye-bye.